is how delightful is the Sabbath? How delightful is the Sabbath? Isaiah 58, 13th verse to the 14th verse. Our reading scripture comes from the book of Psalms this morning. Psalms, the 37th Psalm, 4 through the 5th verse says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thine way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Here we see why an observance of this day has came about, and it was a creation day in creation in the creation order in which God rested upon the Sabbath day. God rested upon the Sabbath day. And what I want to look at is why has the observance of this day fallen into such disrepute? Why it has come to be the way it is. So much controversy surrounding this day. And it's not only disregarded by most, but even hated within some of the circles of the Christian world as if keeping it is a curse. That's Satan's deception or Satan deceiving the whole world at the very core of Sabbath day observance, of Sabbath day observance. So we're going to on into this message this morning. And though many do not necessarily hate it, they make no effort to observe it despite the singling the seventh day out as a day different from the other six days. If, if in creation, he's doing the work of creation and he makes six days, six days, and then he said on the seventh day he rested. In other words, he set one day apart from the other days. That that. What should cause us to pause there, it should cause us to look and examine wouldn't it be something different about that particular day if he set it away from the other six days. He said he hallowed it. In other words, he sanctified that day. He consecrated it unto himself. He made it holy. And only a holy God can make something holy. Man can't make anything holy. And we can use all our philosophy and everything we we use to try to say that the Sabbath was changed in a different locale of the Sabbath just as Jeroboam changed the day of worship to fit his life, to fit into his way of doing things to fit his the way he was seeing things. And I, I keep telling us what we have to do and what prayer does. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. Prayer brings us in alignment with God to where we can see things from God's perspective. We start to see God from, as God sees things from that perspective because one of God's characteristics is that God is immutable and, and we should be glad this morning that we're serving an unchanging God. God doesn't change, you know. If, if God was to change, then he would be as fickle as we would be. We wouldn't know what to expect out of God. And if he made man in his likeness, that was a physical attribute of God. It's like the six days that he made the physical attributes of those days are just like the other days it's, but it says God made us in his image He's, he says let us make man in our image well that would be different from anything else in creation if he was going to make it in his image because image would be as we talked about Wednesday with his attributes, in other words, with his characteristics, with his personality, with his mind, with with all of the inherent essence of who God is or what makes God God. That's why what makes man different, it's like that Sabbath day, he's making man a spiritual being 
And that's what Jesus Christ came to do. He's not like the first Adam, but what we are like the second Adam. Because all men that are like the first Adam, they came from dust, and they shall return to dust. But those second men, that new creation, that new creatures that God makes those that believe in the Son, that believe upon the Son, that has faith, He gives them everlasting life. He gives them an ability to not only dwell in the body in that likeness of God, but also be in the image of God whereby He gives them eternal life where they would abide in His Word. They would take delight in His Word. In other words, take a pleasure in being who He is or what He does if that same mind is in us. He says, let that same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. So there's a transformative process that goes on with the Sabbath with us being made physical in God's likeness, but being made in His image, that's a transformation from the old man that returned to us because us that are being made in His image and likeness, we're being transformed from stage to stage and we don't know what we'll be like, but we know we'll be like Jesus when He appears. So that old man that we're putting to death, it says we die daily. We're putting off the old man, that old nature, who we used to be, our likeness. In other words, that image, not, not just the physical image, but we're putting away that spirit that was of the world, that, that spirit that was condemned to die. Because sure as we live, man was under condemnation to die And Jesus Christ redeemed us. He brought us back. He reconciled us to God. And he had given us a ministry of reconciliation. To whereby we go back to God. We are being brought back. And God's making us a spiritual being. And it says that old corruptible. In other words, we live in a corruptible body. That corruptible shall put on incorruption. So when he said we are healed and he's going to send healing and a restoration, he's going to restore man to his former self, to man's former uprightness, to whereas when he made man in the body that man was in, in the likeness of God, man could have died. A man could have lived eternity throughout eternity. So since he fell under the condemnation of that curse, He disobeyed God, and God says, The day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. He died spiritually that day, but he lived on, and God says, Look, let let us put man out of the garden, lest he take and eat of the tree of life and live forever in that state. So we see man wasn't born with immortality, as some preachers preach and teach that you have immortal souls that... You wasn't born with immortality because God had told him, the day you eat of that tree, you shall die. That, so where do we get this from that man lives on and on and he, out, throughout eternity in hell or heaven? The only place that we can live forever is with God because he says he and he only has eternal life. Now you can, you know, to have eternal life, you can have eternal life in paradise but it's not eternal life in torture and in hell because God told us that the soul that sinned, it shall die. Man became a living soul, but God did pronounce that the soul that sinned, it shall die. So man has a soul. Man became a living soul. But in that body that he was in, he says, from dust you come to dust you shall return. So we were in a state of condition to where we didn't have any joy or happiness. We would have to get joy or happiness from somewhere else because it's not inherent in man. We have our ups and downs. We can be have melancholy one day. We can be sad and, 
and downtrodden and depressed and cast off. Or sometimes we can have joy and happiness or whatever. But God tells us not to seek joy, happiness, and pleasure on his day. You can do it on those other six days or whatever. But you need to turn your foot away from the Sabbath. In other words, don't make this day that I set apart this Sabbath day like the rest of those days. You need to turn your foot away from or repent of that way of life. And the only way you can do that is grant it through God's Spirit. That's why He gave us the Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth and to call the Sabbath a delight. That we would rest from our labor. He says that you would do no work in that day. In other words, no servile labor. Nothing that constitute the work that God gave you as a result of the curse, he says, because thorns and thistles the soil shall bring forth to you now. The ground is cursed for your sake. And you were taken from it, you can return from it. It's gonna bring forth thorns and thistles and in toil. By the sweat of your brow, that's how you will live. But something about that sixth day, if we could enter into his rest, if we could rest from our work, rest from our labor, and enter into his rest, where he's doing all of the work. And he, and he gives us that invitation in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our Sabbath. He says, come unto me and rest. All ye that are heavy laden, cast your burden and all your cares upon me. Come unto me and rest. So Christ is our Sabbath. It's typed and chatted that Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews, we find out this is that other day that was promised to the people of God. Now, we cease from our labors and rest, but on the next day, that very next day, the first day of the week, we return back to that six days of toil. Because we hadn't completely ceased as Jesus Christ, his works was completed, and that's why he sat down at the right hand of God. But if we would study his law, that law that's written on our heart, that circumcision that he does within our heart, and he makes us one of his and come to know his laws, if we would delight ourselves in his law, because in the book of 1 John where he says, his commandments are not grievous unto us. We, we have to start doing God's word, his will, and doing those things, and we'll find that they're not grievous, we enjoy those commandments because all of those commandments is righteousness and it gives us love, peace, and joy and we know that God's out for our ultimate good. No matter how we work things for evil, God can take the same things that we work in for evil just as Joseph's brothers, they did what they did to Joseph trying to kill or destroy Joseph. They meant it for evil, and Joseph told them that they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In other words, there's a lot of things we go in and go through life. If we would just turn to the Lord and delight in Him, obey Him, follow after His commandments, find it's a joy to die to self. In other words, Die to our own pleasure, our own feelings. If you are a liar, you would stop taking delight in lying and you would crucify that part of self. You would put that old man to death to where you no longer lie because we know no liar shall enter into the kingdom of God. You, you would have to switch. Something switches that which in you that causes you to look unto that and take pleasure or joy into that. Let me, let me give you a little illustration, a little analogy here of these things. Once we were maybe doing drugs or drinking, or whatever vices that we had, and many of us have many different vices or whatever, and you would get up and you would smoke your camel or cool or 
smoke you some weed, uh, wh- whatever the vice was, drink you a few Budweiser's or some Chevy's Regal or if you was a drinker or whatever. But now that you come to the Lord, not now that you come to God, and God starts to work on you to transform you, the trans uh, that transformation that takes place, you start seeing from God's perspective, you start realizing that even one that God had put it here for the enjoyment of man, for the delight, the heart of man, to make the hearts of man merry. And so you have some religions that preach against alcohol, preach abstinence, and all of these other things, but we would see it's not the alcohol that makes us evil, is if the alcohol dominates and controls us. If the alcohol brings out bitterness and all types of changing, in other words, it's inhibitor. If if it inhibits your actions and your ways, if it causes you to beat your spouse or to drive erratically and do different things to where it controls you, then it becomes sin. He says, sin lies at the door. You should be its master and it not your master. In other words, the drinking in itself wouldn't be the sin. The drinking wouldn't be a sin in it. God given man wine, God given man the fruit of the vine. God God given him all of those things, so I don't know what your religion preaches or teaches or whatever. But then you still delight in the Lord. You, you, you delight in serving the Lord, but that wine is just like food in which God gave us different foods to eat or whatever, whereas nothing's wrong with food or whatever, but to get spiritually strong, to, to, to show God that you need Him and not necessarily the food because you realize that man should live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God and man can't or doesn't live by bread alone but it's necessary for your natural man it's for your natural well-being but if you take food and misuse it the same way as some people misuse alcohol you can become a glutton that that's one of two of the things that they attributed to Jesus Christ now a lot of people don't realize this when they say he's a wine bibber and a glutton. They were saying that he overindulges in alcohol and in food, and he did neither of the two. It was an outward thing that they observed, and they attributed to him. And a lot of times people attribute things to us. If we be joyful and happy, sometimes people will say we drunk or some other thing. It's not that we drunk or anything, but we of a merry heart. God, this is some, something God had given us and, and it brings us cheer and happiness. But you can become gluttonous and gluttony is a sin. The misuse of food, a misappropriation of food is a sin. The same as this misappropriation of the use of sex. Inside marriage, sex is ordained of God. It's ordained for procreation. That he told us to be fruitful and multiply. So we see that God had ordained those things, but it's fornication and adultery if used in the wrong way, used outside of marriage, right? So the same things that could be sin in some occasion is a blessing and sacred ordained of God in other situations. So we have to look at perspectives in how we're living our lives, and that is also in conjunction with the Sabbath day. It's the perspective in which we view the Sabbath. And a lot of people say, oh, he's a Sabbath day worshiper, and he followed the Sabbath. And they make the Sabbath to seem to be a weight or a burden. How many times you, you hear people they start to tell you what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. They want to run your life just like they want to tell you what to drink and tell you what to eat and 
what else to do. They telling you things that only God can tell you to lead you or whatever. They can't give you any scripture on it where God says not to do those things. He does tell us not to work on the Sabbath. We should do no labor. But then when Jesus Christ came, we see him healing the sick, healing the blind. The man that was a paralytic and he had a one had a withered hand and he came to Jesus and Jesus healed those people on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees say, why doest thou do your master doeth that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, Jesus was using this as a teaching occasion to present to the people that they had interpreted the law. They had interpreted scripture wrongly. They had went into captivity for breaking the Sabbath because their preaching and their teaching had led to a wrong observance and God had went as far as to say, your Sabbaths, your prayers, your solemn assembly, it no longer was God because he says it stinked or it stunk in his nostrils and it was abhorrent to him and he said, He wouldn't smell the incense. He wasn't observing their fasting and their prayers or whatever because it's done from the wrong perspective with the wrong motivation that they were hypocritical in doing these things. Just as when the Pharisees was telling him about healing on the Sabbath day. Now, you know, Jesus was... Sometimes, you know, you pick a fight. You know, you, you start these things because... Evidentially, Jesus wanted to drive home some points. He says, God made the Sabbath for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Son of Man, he, Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath. So God had made that day for us and that in making that day, they had went overboard with it and they had some 1,500 or more laws of what you couldn't do on a Sabbath. It got that you couldn't walk a certain number of steps on a Sabbath or it was considered work. You couldn't, if you stayed a certain distance from the synagogue, you couldn't do this. Uh, If you spit in the ground, you couldn't stir it about to make a spittle because it was work, but you could just spit on the ground and leave it alone or whatever. When his disciples went through the corn pasture and plucked corn and was eating corn and they said it's not lawful to do that on the Sabbath day and Jesus used the time when David went to the priest and ate of the showbread that was not lawful for them to eat showing that there was something more important than the legal rules and regulation it was the life of man in other words to save life Instead of them starving the deaf, if they were hungry, they ate of that which only it was legal only for the priest to eat. We see what during that same teaching that Jesus showed them of how much work that the priest did on a Sabbath day, and they didn't break a law by doing all that work. The man with a withered hand, Jesus told him to stretch forth thine hand, and he healed him on the Sabbath. Now, if he had had that withered hand all of his life and uh, two blind men had been blind all of their life, wasn't those chronic illnesses? They wasn't in a hurry. If he had been that way for some 20 or 30 years, Jesus said, well, look, it's the Sabbath. Why don't you come back tomorrow and I'll heal you tomorrow uh, and I'll remove your blindness tomorrow because you've been that way all your life. One more day ain't going to make a difference. Don't you think if he wasn't trying to make a point since those was chronic illness, but Jesus didn't do that. He told the man to stretch forth thine hand, and the man was healed on that day. He told the paralytic, the man that was born from birth, and he was lame, and he said, take up thy bed and walk. And the Pharisees said, now Jesus didn't went too far. He's healing this guy. He's telling this guy to take up his bed and walk on the Sabbath. And that's work. Carrying his bed is working. They wasn't rejoicing. They say, man, this guy been on his back all of his life. All of these 
38 years and he's been laying inside this pool and couldn't move or whatever. And Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. Instead of them rejoicing at this hill, man, they're trying to find a way to put Jesus on the stake. They're trying to find a way that Jesus has done something wrong. They're not saying, hey, this guy's hand was withered. He couldn't use his hand. It was one of those hands that would flail around. He didn't have any control over it. It was a withered hand. But now Jesus said, stretch forth that hand. And it became healed. He could arm wrestle somebody. Now, he was strengthened in that hand. Instead of them cheering and saying, thank God, and praising and glorifying God, they said, look, let's go find a way to kill this guy. He's doing stuff on the Sabbath he shouldn't be doing. Jesus was trying to say, y'all have built a bridge too far. Yeah, this is a bridge too far. You're not understanding. Isn't it to do good on the Sabbath? Isn't it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Isn't it lawful to do have mercy on the Sabbath? That's why I say we have to be led by the Spirit of God as to what to do. That's why he says, I'm going to give you of the Spirit to be led and guided into all truth. It gives you what to say. It teaches you how to pray. I was telling you the prayer that you prayed. It sounded much more sincere than prayers I've been hearing in here for different times or whatever. It sounded much more sincere, much more dedicated, but it was from the heart. It was led by the Spirit. The Spirit give you a somberness to say, well, look, you're looking for my help in this prayer. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you what to say. I'm going to make it fervent. And that's what we're looking. That's why I say we must talk to God more often. We must ask him for what to say, for what to do, where to go, who to help, just what services is needed. That's why it says those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That's what God wants us to a broken state, to a broken and a contrite heart, to where we, we can't do anything without Christ. Without Him, we can do nothing. And we look to Him in prayer and supplication in all things. For the smallest of matters, we look unto Him. And we call it a delight. I was telling you about how Sister Harris was. This is a day that she would hurry down here to find out what instruction God had. She took pleasure in this day because she knew that in this day God would feed her. God would meet her. If the coach of a team or a particular political figure or different VIP or important person says, look, your doctor says uh, you got an appointment to meet me Tuesday at 11 o'clock. The basketball court said, well, y'all be here Tuesday at 11 o'clock. Well, you look forward to that occasion or whatever because here's a dignitary, here's some important person says, if you meet me on this day at this time, I'll be here to help you, to talk to you, to converse. We'll get this straightened out. But what happens is you say, you know, I don't, I don't feel like doing that some other things, some other signs, and it looked like I'm going to go down there at Monday at 11 o'clock. I'm going to wait and go Wednesday at 11 or whatever. Wouldn't we miss that dignitary? Wouldn't we miss that person because they told us they were setting aside that time for us Tuesday at 11? See, so what God has said, he says on the seventh day, on this day, I'm going to set it apart and I want you not to do anything concerning yourself, any of those pleasures. And don't be a legalist about this because he says don't do any unnecessary works. But if something's necessary, your ox fall in the ditch or something happens that you would have to do it. He's a merciful God. He's an understanding God. And if you talk to him, if your heart's right, and he's going to see why you're doing what you're doing. Because he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. You're understanding that he understands why you're doing it. But if you just make it a habit not meeting with him when he tell you to meet with him, then he's going to say, well, you're taking me for granted. You're being presumptuous 
you like the man that's picking up sticks and and apparently apparently they hadn't had any language with this law before now listen at this Moses' time was some thousands of years after creation maybe some 2500 years after creation in which God made the Sabbath but here this man was picking up sticks Moses had given the law but this man is picking up sticks and Moses and them didn't know what to do with him they shut him up and they say well Let's inquire of the Lord as what to do with this man that was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. They inquired of God, and God says, you need to kill him. Stone him to death. Now, I'm sure it was other people that did other things, and they had rebelled against God many a time because they had went out to try to pick up manna on the Sabbath day, and God calls them a rebellious, hard-headed generation because he had told you to get twice as much on the sixth day because he wasn't going to send it on the seventh day. But he still had those looking for it on the seventh day. So, but the show that God was serious about this Sabbath day observing that he had commanded them. Now see, this came along with the law of Moses this commandment, that's why I say it was a creation day ordinance. It was done in creation, but here it's the Sabbath when they do this after the commandment, after the Decalogue, and Moses and them not knowing what to do, but God says, stone him to death. He's serious about this law. God showed the severity of keeping his commandments. We don't see people being stoned to death for committing adultery or fornication today. They're just, you know, the Christianity has taken it just like they've done the fourth commandment and some sectors of it, they overlook it. We have a president that was divorced two or three times and remarried and not as some woman didn't want an 80 something million dollar judgment or Gives him for defamation of character, slander in other words, speaking evil of someone, the things that he does. But we didn't start setting our own rules and our own laws to look over. I don't know if it's a racial thing or whatever. Maybe if it was a different president, if he was a different ethnicity, that they would do this that they're doing for this particular man or not because we know nations should raise up against nation and ethnics against ethnic that that there will be ethical ethnic ethnicities and different nations rise up against each other in the end times and we see a great division in the United States and people talking about civil war coming about or whatever but we see where but it's according to the law in which we live or the perspective in which we're seeing things because sometimes we come to God with different intents and motives in our heart and God can see our intentions and motives they brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus and they say well look this woman was caught in adultery and the law of Moses tells us we should stone her, you know. With Jesus seeing their hypocrisy, Jesus seeing the intents of their heart and what they're doing, and he tells the woman, he says, uh, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. They started to part and walk away or whatever. Jesus looks up at the woman and he says, where is th- thus thine accusers? And he says, he didn't accuse her. Now, he didn't say, well, what you did is just a little, little light matter. You go on about your business and do what you got to do. And, you know, I'm Jesus and I forgive everything. I forgive all the time or whatever. He did tell her, he says, I, 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 didn't, I don't accuse you. He says, but go and sin no more unless a worse thing can happen to you. Now, you know, the worst thing that could have happened to her because she almost got the death penalty dead. 
So the worst thing that could have happened, she, death could be befall her. So he put on a, a, a strict sentence. He says, go and sin no more. See, Jesus came to save us from our sin, not in our sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace abound? God forbid. So herein again, he didn't say I'm doing away with the moral law of adultery or whatever, but he did say he, he wasn't accusing or condemning or pointing the finger at her or whatever, but sin no more. And see, that's the thing about it. If we read here in this 58 chapter, they were fasting and they were wondering why God wasn't hearing their prayers and their fasting. And Jesus says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, you fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fists of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day. They were fasting, pointing the finger at one another, accusing one another, and doing all of these other things, and he didn't want them pointing their finger and condemning other people, and they were oppressing the people right now. There's oppression within our nation. They're oppressing the poor. They are talking about killing people at the border, killing the foreigners and the strangers that are at our borders. Of course they're breaking the law. Of course nations should have laws or whatever. But he also tells us to deal with the strangers and foreigners with mercy, with diplomacy. We need to learn how to handle certain things or whatever and not bring God's law into ill repute, but take a delight in keeping God's walking in God's ways and in his commandments. He says that they're not grievous unto us, that they wouldn't be grievous unto us, and we would delight ourselves in the law, and by faith we help establish God's law. Now, Satan, like I say, he's gone the mighty strange lens through learned scholars, learned theologians, and pastors and prophets and things. Now through the philosophy of men, he tells us in the New Testament not to be spoiled with the philosophies of men. Now they are saying that since Jesus rose on the first day of the week, the resurrection was on the first day of the week, they are saying that Jesus changed this day of worship, that he change the Lord's day, the Sabbath day, to the first day of the week. This is the same Jesus that says I change not and that he has an immutability about him in that with the obscurity of this law, this philosophy of men that says since he did all of this he moved the Sabbath day, he moved the Lord's day from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. Now if he had taken that first day of the week and did all this, don't you think it would be scriptures on that because Peter says we have a more sure word of prophecy that is the written word of God and that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Wouldn't it be bound by the word of God and he wouldn't just leave it up to our philosophy or reasoning that you can't show anybody where he changed this, made one day holy, and says, now, in creation I made this day holy, but now I'm taking it away. It's not holy anymore. I'm going to change it to the first day. Wouldn't you have more on it than that? Because if if he didn't abrogate, if he didn't, take away because he had told us the Sabbath was perpetual and we see in prophecy and with a lot of the preachers and even in Revelation they talk about the Sabbath, of keeping the Sabbath uh, that remains a Sabbath day so he's not saying that he would have said well look this day is no longer holy the day that I sanctified is no longer sanctified and holy it's like these other five days here but this day here, 
I'm going to make it holy. I'm going to make it the Lord's day. I'm changing my mind on this. I'm moving this one day to the first day of the week. Because he's didn't kill nations. They went into captivity for 70 years for not observing Sabbath day. But, you know, look like he would have did more than a passing glance to change this day. So, unequivocally, in Mark, Jesus 2nd to 27, he says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It wouldn't be that great a change because of the resurrection if he had established from creation. See, that's why I say the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. It wasn't any Jews then. The Sabbath was made. You understand what I'm saying? The Sabbath was made before man was put out of the garden. It was made way before Moses. That day, that Sabbath day was of creation. It didn't have anything to do with the handwriting of ordinance that are in the law. In the law, he says, remember the Sabbath, but that's no new command. He just said, remember the Sabbath. So it's of creation. God established the Sabbath and creation, and it has nothing to do with Judaism uh, observing the Judeo law of the Sabbath because if it was to the Jews, it was only binding on the Jews and not the Gentiles because he didn't give the Gentiles the law. But see, what God does through Jesus Christ, he writes his laws, his commandments, he writes those upon our heart, and that's why I say it's from perspective. And those people that can see the Sabbath, they can see God's laws and commandments, they do observe God's Sabbath. It's no question in their mind, this is not argumentative that the Sabbath is the first day of the week, or the what day of the week. No, they know the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. During Easter, and that, that's where they got a lot of this kind of twisted and wrapped up because some kind of another way, they have Good Friday, Jesus being crucified and hung on the cross on Good Friday, but then he rose early Sunday morning. And he, and he gives, there's a pro, prohibition against sunrise services in the book of Jeremiah when the people are praying with their backs to the wall facing the east with their sunrise services or whatever. But we see that they're saying Jesus was crucified on that Friday and he rose that Sunday, early that Sunday morning. But it seems as though in Scripture, when the Pharisees and the people were saying, Jesus, give us a son, give us a son, Jesus said, adulterous generation looking for a sign, but will no sign be given but that of the prophet Jonah. And what is that, Jesus? What, what is that sign of the prophet Jonah? He says, the son of man would be in the heart of the earth. In other words, I would die, they would crucify me, and they would put me in the grave that I would be in the grave in the heart of the earth, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. That was the sign. That was a sign of his messiahship, that he would be in the heart of the earth. In other words, he would be in the grave three days and three nights. Now, it seems like to me in Genesis, he explained to us what days and nights were. Now, I can't see how you get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday morning. Unless you go try to use a Jewish theology, Jewish way of keeping time, and you only use it in that one instance, and you don't use it in another instance. If you use something in one instance, you have to use it in, a, in a, this, another instance to prove that same thing to be unilateral if you're not taking it out of its context. So if he's going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, you have something wrong here. And if you go back and study it, we'll see that the women came to the grave and the reason they had to leave off from what they were doing it, 
that the next day was a day of preparation. In other words, we knew that that crucifixion was on that Tuesday, that that Thursday was a Sabbath. It was a high Sabbath. That was the day of preparation. That Wednesday was a day of preparation because that Thursday, it had two Sabbaths that week. When Jesus talks of his annual Sabbaths and his feast day Sabbaths, those are the Sabbaths that he was disannulling in the New Testament. That's the handwriting of ordinance. We're not to keep feast days. We don't have to keep the Feast of Tabernacle and all of these feasts. That's why Paul says that you observe days and I'm afraid of you, of Sabbaths and new moons and all of these festivals. You bring in Judaism into Christianity, and that's one thing I did. I persecuted the Christians. I persecuted the Christians because I was bringing Judaism into Christianity. I was bringing my belief, a different belief system, into something that I didn't understand. And that, that's what's happened with Christianity. And you have a Christianity here that has taken God's day, and he tr they trampled God's day underfoot. And now they're trying to make the whole world worship on Sundays. That's the day that they choose, not the day... God had told us about that with Corban, whereas the Christians, the, the people during that day, instead of giving money and helping their parent, they designated their resources, their funds, and money and time. They said that it was dedicated to God. They call it Corban. And he says, by your traditions, you made void the commandments of God. In other words, through your reasoning and your rationale, you voided the commandments of God that says honor your parents or whatever. See, because a lot of us go away and say, well, the government will take care of them and the government will do this. Well, I think in your latter day what God says that during God's time, he showed that you to honor your parents, in other words, take care of them in their older age. As they get older, they're your responsibility. Now, I'm not saying that the government's life hasn't come a long ways and God has blessed us in so many ways and with so much. But we have to look back when Jesus says it wasn't so in the beginning, that it wasn't this way in the beginning. Just as with marriage, he says, what well, wasn't so in the beginning. Well, that's the same thing with the Sabbath. It was in the beginning, and this how the Sabbath was in the beginning. It was voluntary. All of God's commandments. When we choose Jesus Christ, we choose to follow him. We take delight. We living this way because we know God is a rewarder. His ways are the best ways. Everything is better in Christ. It's a much better covenant. And this is, we gladly give up our life. We choose to die to self. We choose to follow him. It's a choice, and that's why he tells us to choose life. So we choose to worship on the Sabbath. We delight in the Sabbath. It's not grievous unto us. This is what we want to do. God loves a cheerful giver. So he didn't put a fence up and says, this is what you have to tithe. This is what you have to give. No, a lot of us love putting money into the offering plate. We love giving unto God because we know we can't beat God giving. And giving way of life makes us feel much better in that God says that we should be working. That's one reason that God blessed us with the ability to work so that we would be able to help others. Nothing makes you feel better than on the Sabbath day to be able to help somebody else, to do something for somebody else. I got up this morning, early this morning, and I had to take someone to work to make a... It's not something I do all the time or whatever, but they didn't have a way last night and they was going to be strung out or whatever and they was asking, could I bring them to work this morning? I said, well, now, you know, Saturday, my Sabbath is I have church and everything in the morning. 
But if, if you wouldn't allow it to interfere with what I have to do, if you wake up a little bit earlier or whatever, so at 6.30, I'll call you and I can come get you and get you to do so it won't interfere with me preparing for my Sabbath day services. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So I don't tell anybody, oh, you can't do this on the Sabbath. You can't do this on this day. You can't do that. Be led by the Spirit of God. And it it rejoices me to help somebody, to heal somebody, to do something, because the day is the day of the Lord. It's the Lord's day, and I'm rejoicing in it, because this is a day that I get to talk with God, I get to commune with God, I get a rest from all of the rest of my labors. So anything that I do today, it's not grievous and it's not toil, but it's resting in the Lord. And one of these days, every day will be like this day. They were saying every day would be the Sabbath day, the Lord's day. I'll enter into that rest, he says. We hadn't entered into that rest yet. But we're entering into Christ. And it says, put on Christ. We're to put him on. And as we put him on, we pull off the old man. So I delight in the Lord and the things of the Lord. Heavenly Father, help the rest of us to start seeing things from this perspective as to what God has set forth for us to enjoy and for us to do, that we would enjoy your Sabbaths, to learn of your Sabbaths, to learn to worship you, Lord God, to show it to others, Lord God, to get closer to you, Lord God, and Help us to meet with you each day, each Sabbath day, Lord God, and rejoice in it. The fellowship, the worship, and the praise, and the true delight of it. I I just opened the church doors up this morning so that the sun can come in. I want the sun to come into my life. It's a very beautiful day out there, and it's symbolic of that the Lord says that we are riding on the high places if we would observe his Sabbaths that he would cause us to rise. We just like cream and coffee. It rises to the top. Cream always rises to the top. God causes us to rise above the, the, the muck and the mire. He lifts us up out of everyday struggles and all of us that are cast down and heavy trodden. If we would delight ourselves in the Lord, he would set us in the high places. He would exalt us above all that is seen and heard. In Jesus' name we pray this day. Amen.